Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wonderful Women of Golf. I'm Rick Wolfel. This podcast is intended to recognize and celebrate some of the remarkable women who are part of the golf and turf industries. Over the course of this series, you'll be hearing from golf course superintendents, golf professionals, club officials, and other dedicated women who have made valuable contributions to the game of golf and to turf science. My guest today is Sue Spar, the superintendent at Swan Hills Golf Course in Belvedere, Illinois. Sue came to Swan Hills some 26 years ago after graduating from Lawrence College with a degree in biology research. She's been there ever since, and over the course of her career has grown into other golf courses as well. Sue is a past president of the Northwest Illinois Golf Course Superintendents Association. We're honored to have her as our guest on this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. Sue, welcome to our podcast. We thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to join us. We're happy to have you with us. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Where I wanted to start from, 25 years at the same golf course. That's a remarkable record for any superintendent. Congratulations to you. What has made your club such a good fit over all these years? When I first um, came to this course, I intended for this to be a stepping stone, you know, and just to get started and then to move on to bigger and better things. But then I realized um, that this was, I think this is kind of my niche, this type of course. It's a, it's a, public golf course green fees you know kind of push the rounds through we're a very low budget course and uh i think i kind of found that i i enjoy that i enjoy being at a course but that tries to make it affordable um you know and to get as many people um exposure to the game as as they can and uh i think i think that's what i really enjoy about it swan hills is a public facility it's privately owned but a public facility with a membership role. Uh, what are the elements that have made it so successful, that have made it so welcoming for everybody, that make people feel comfortable there? The architecture of it was was really good for public golf because uh, the handicaps. I mean, you still have to hit fairways and, and greens to, to be able to score well, but the but the the higher handicaps are really at an advantage here because. We're a little more open and a lot of, you don't, you don't get into a lot of trouble. You don't lose a lot of golf balls and the higher handicaps tend to shoot a lot better out here. And when you think about the average golfer shooting 110, uh, people like to, people like to have a course where they don't get beat up at, you know, they can come out here and, and, and shoot a decent round and, and feel good. And I think that's what we offer to, to the majority of golfers. Now you were responsible for the grow in 26 plus years ago. So how satisfying is it for you to be here all this time and remember what it was then and see what it has matured into now? Oh, well, yeah, it is, it is really neat to see all that, all that's happened, uh, you know, how it's matured over the years. Um, it was a, it was a farmland, it was farm field before we, when we built the golf course. So there weren't a lot of existing trees. So the majority of the foliage we brought in ourselves, and I planted 26 years ago, you know, well, the majority of those trees, the deciduous trees were, were ash trees. And I don't know if you've heard about the emerald ash borer that's taking over the country, <laughs> uh, yeah. but it's killing all. 
So, so all of those trees that we brought in, I'm currently now, there were 290 ash trees we had out here. So currently we're cutting all of those down <laughs> and, and replanting, you know, from a nursery that I started years ago. And it's, it's just amazing to me that it like took 25 years for this tree to, to grow up and mature. And within 20 minutes, we have it all burnt up, cut down and burned up, you know. But so it's kind of, as, as to answer your question, as the course was maturing, now we're kind of getting it back into an infant state again with all new trees. And, but but it, it's, been a, it's been a great process to watch it. I've, I've often called this my first form because I, I came and we seeded all the greens and the fairways, you know, when I was here. And so to see it grow up and all the blood, sweat, and tears that go into it, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. What led you to get into the turf industry to begin with? Your background uh, or your path to get here is a little bit different than some. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly my intention to go into the turf field. Um, I started, when I was in high school, started working at a park and recreation and uh, started teaching basketball clinic. And then it went to basketball and baseball clinics. And then it went to uh, I became in charge of all the grounds maintenance for the for the park uh, the park that it was a small town but for the park district and I just kind of fell in love with the outdoor work first and so then going to college I became a biology major and started working for a golf course while I was in college and that particular golf course um, the owners of the course also built and had an irrigation company and they built constructed courses and irrigated courses all around the Chicago area and so that they just happened to build a course when I graduated college and kind of lucked into a position and, and been here ever since. <laughs> That's really quite uh, remarkable. And you're doing it with a pretty small staff. Now, right now, as we're doing this, you're closed for the winter. So it's just you and your mechanic that are quote unquote on duty year round, correct? Correct, yes. We're snow covered currently, and so we stay, we close once we were covered in snow, you know. But up until that, we we stay open to you know as long as we can. What about during the season? Even then, you don't have uh, a very large crew. No, I've got um, three employees, including my mechanic, that that work full time. The rest are all part time. Um, I have a couple of I like I like to bring on a couple of young people part time, you know, that do some more physical labor, but. Uh, I've got about 10 part-time guys and most of them are retired. They just do the mowing. They're very dependable and they're, they're really good, really good for that position. You know, the retired guys are, are great to have. So you don't have the budget that the private club 50 miles away might have or an hour to your east or about an hour west of Chicago. You don't have that size budget, that size staff. So how do you, prioritize and how do you allocate your resources uh, to get through the golf season? Well, it's, it's kind of, uh, it, it's kind of, kind of a trick. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I always say you have to, to go through uh, every day with blinders on because you can't possibly do everything that, that needs to be done that you think needs to be done. And so you have to try and figure out what the golfer sees and what the golfer wants. And, it, and you really have to, know the clientele that, that you're catering to and in our case you know being a public course uh you have you know a, a wide variety of people 
but um, talking to the people and, and, and knowing what your clientele wants is, is really important. And, and so for me, it's uh, it basically like most golf courses, you would uh, concentrate your efforts on the greens and the green surrounds. Um, I spend a lot of time just trying to, a lot of drainage issues, trying to firm up the approaches and, and keeping not just the green itself, but the surround around the green, the approaches, the, the, the bunkers, the greenside bunkers, the uh, car pass, all the edging and trimming. You really, really want to make that pop and make that look um, as, as good as possible. Um, fortunately here, I don't have as big a pressure as, as most guys in the industry have uh, as far as green speed. Uh, I don't have to keep them lightning fast. As a matter of fact, our clientele, you know, we're, we're probably, like I said, we're catering more to like a higher handicap uh, public golfer. Uh, uh, they don't need to be lightning fast. They can't put on them anyway, you know. Uh, so, well, I know. Yes, go on. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, for me, keeping the greens aesthetically pleasing and, and true, um, that's the big goal of, but we have more so than the green speed, you know, obviously we can't let them get too slow, but that's kind of an advantage of that and keep them healthy and, and, and aesthetically pleasing. I'm thinking too, most golfers subscribe to the theory that you mentioned a moment ago. If the greens are in good shape, they will pretty much tolerate or understand why maybe the rest of the course isn't as aesthetically pleasing as some others might be. Uh, that the, green, the greens aren't good. Uh, it really doesn't matter what else you do. You're right. That's true. That's the that's always the first thing. And then, and it, it always it's always interesting to me that, uh, like I said, when you're when you're going with blinders on, you think that this one particular thing is going to stand out, and everybody's going to notice that and it's going to be horrible, and no one even notices it. And then there'll be something that you think is minor, but then you hear from like ten people bringing that up. You know, so it's like you have to have to adjust your thinking a little bit and try and see it how, how the golfer sees it. As far as making chemical applications, scheduling, aeration, and that kind of thing, how do you schedule that to get the maximum out of what you're doing and intrude on play and intrude on the bottom line, at least? That's an issue that uh, superintendents of public courses have to deal with that uh, people at private clubs don't have to be that concerned about. Right. And we don't, we don't ever close down for any of those practices. So we have to do it while the public's out there, you know, which, which gets difficult. And so there are some backseat that uh, agronomically need to be done, but aren't done as frequently as they need to be because you, because of the hindrance it does to the, the golfer. Um, I make a plan every year for the entire season of what, I'm going to do every week of the month, you know, as far as uh, spraying, fertilizing, aerating, top dressing, verticutting, all the major uh, cultural things that we do. And so we try, I try to adhere to that schedule as best as possible. And then you have to alter according to weather and, and play and, and that sort of thing. Um, for example, like top dressing, sanding the greens, I, I you know, would like to do it every 10 days, but it's very um, invasive. It's very difficult for the golfers out there playing. Wait, I can't close down, like I said. So, so that tends to be put off, um, and you know, just because of of play. We uh, so yeah, there are certain things that I have to 
kind of put off or try to fit into a unusual time slot, you know, <laughs> to, to try and get done. What about the daily routine as far as maintenance? At some clubs, they'll try to do it very early in the morning. So the crews are out and doing their mowing before the golfers get there. And that might mean mowing at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, are you in a position to be able to do that or you've got to do it uh, by working around things? Oh, uh, that well, we started during the week. We start at six, and then on, on weekends we start at five. We, um, we have to start right at sun up on weekends. Fortunately, we we were able to start at six and get ahead of the golfers. We don't have a great deal of early morning play during the week. Uh, weekends they are out there at five, so we need to be there to get in front of them. And on weekends we just cut greens and cut holes and rake bunkers, so we're able to get out and get that done before the golfer gets there. Um, fortunately, we're able to, there's some, there's some days we have to start at five during the week also, as far as outings and that type of thing. But generally we can start at six during the week. As far as having the support of, first of all, your customers, understanding what you're doing and what has to be done. How important is that at any facility, public or private, for them to at least having some understanding of what you're doing? Uh, I think it's incredibly important um, uh, because ultimately uh, you're, you need them. I mean, you need them to be happy. You need them to come back. You, uh, there, there are a lot of courses in our area and it's, I mean, as much as we respect each other and, and would help each other out, still, we still have to compete each other, you know, for that same golfer. So yeah, it's incredibly important that that the golfer understands uh, what you're doing, but also you need to under, uh, we need to understand what the golfer uh, you know values is the most important too. And uh, I think that uh, well, certainly since I started in the industry, the the business has got a, golfers have become much more um, understanding of the, the the practices, the superintendent's practices, and the maintenance uh, what maintenance needs to be done in the golf course. I think a lot of things have contributed to that also. The, the PGA, for one, has contributed greatly for that. Hopefully the Superintendents Association and, uh, and golf course industry have uh, had a hand in that. As oh, well. absolutely. The, 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 the Golf Course Superintendents Association is phenomenal. I, you know, I got involved as soon as I became a superintendent, and I, I can't say enough good about GCSA, uh, I've always been very, very impressed with the organization, and they have they they have helped a great deal in improving the image and and getting uh, uh, like making golfers more aware. I think too one of the things that I enjoy the most about writing about the turf industry and talking about it is how willing all of you and your peers are to share their knowledge, and that goes beyond superintendents and their teams, but also to agronomy professors and, and people on that side of the industry, how willing they are to share their knowledge with each other, even though they are competing against each other, uh, with people such as myself, with the golfing public, whoever crosses their path, uh, they are just so open and so proud of their industry and they want to share what they know and tell everybody how wonderful the industry is. And that's what makes it so enjoyable to write about it and talk about. And it's something that you really 
notice when you're dealing with the people in the industry. It's a great group of people. Yeah, very well. When I when I first came here to this course, you know, I was right out of college, 20, 25, 24. And uh, the, the company that I work for, they had also built another course uh, about a half hour away from here. And that superintendent allowed me to use his grinders and taught me all, he and his mechanic taught me a lot of the mechanical work and also got me interested in the, well, involved in GCA and the certification program. Uh, and he actually encouraged me and got me started and pointed in the right direction for that in order for me to earn my certification. Then all the area superintendents in, in my immediate area uh, reached out to me, called me, talked to me, got me involved in the local chapter of the association, and it's just been phenomenal. I mean, there's, uh, yeah, like I said, I just really can't say enough good about all, all the people, and it, it's still, to this day, it's still the same way. Uh, it's, it's I noticed a little difference, you know, but for the most part, it's all still the same, you know, the, uh, the, the big name courses, the, the, uh, high budget courses, they they are just as accepting and and understand that we share a lot of the same problems um, agronomically. I mean, we can still sit down and have conversations. It's not, it's not. There's not a oh uh, uh, like a, not a caste system, if you will. Right. There's not a clique of any sense. It's it's everybody reaches out to everybody, and that's what I think is the neatest thing about the associations. You've served as president of your local association, haven't you? I did, yes. Yeah, that's that. That was a great experience, also. And um, uh, yeah, and they have delegates meetings in Loris, Kansas, in the, at the the headquarters, and it's just phenomenal. The the, the people that the, the the national association, the GCSAA, uh, not only do they give so much time and, and such a commitment, uh, but the, it's years they're on the board and go through the all of the officers and everything and they, they it's it's really amazing what they uh how they devote themselves to it thinking about this and we touched on this a moment ago what challenges would you say you have or a superintendent at any public facility at quote unquote the lower end of the price scale might have that somebody at a private club might not what would be your your biggest concerns that maybe uh, your peers wouldn't have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis? Oh, well, I would say a major one is um, the equipment. Uh, we, equipment, uh, as far as our equipment is all uh, very old. It's really used. We don't, our new equipment is what other people are, are getting rid of because it no longer functions properly for them. That's our new stuff, you know? So, so the, the equipment itself, it makes, it makes jobs even longer. And when you have less of a staff in the first place, making a, any jobs longer, taking more time is, is a big issue. Um, I would say that is probably the equipment and the lack of staff is probably the two major things. That being said, we have it a lot easier as far as um, expectations. The expectations on us are not nearly what they are in the high-end courses either, you know. And I believe the pressure is a lot lower for, for us than the high-end courses. I would take a guess and say that you are, are correct uh, with that one. The other issue that comes to mind 
pretty readily, me being a recreational golfer of limited ability, uh, there are days that a private club will close their golf course that a public facility won't because of the revenue factor and all that goes with it. So uh, you may find yourself in a situation where your peers might where the golf course is wet, you've got standing water around this, that, and the other thing, and you've got to open anyway. And those days I suspect can be rather challenging for you. That, that That's actually a big change from when we started here. Um, at our max, we were at our highest, we were doing like 48,000 rounds in a year. And I could be a lot uh, more caught if, if it was too wet and I didn't feel it was comfortable, wasn't comfortable letting carts out, I could cut carts off or I could close the course down. We're, we're doing like uh, this year, we're, we're just under 30,000 rounds, which it's decent, but not nearly what we were doing in the past. So, but every day, every day counts now. So if we have one rain out day, especially on a weekend, our whole month is down so there I really can't cut carts off I really can't shut down I just have to let them out and then and then hope we can make can all the damage that was done you know that is a big difference in when since I've been here as far as the support of your ownership you're owned by private a private entity uh, having their support and having them trust what you're doing. Not every superintendent has that. So to, to be in that situation where your owner or the people that you report to respect and understand what you're doing, that's a nice position to be in, in the turf business. Uh, very much so. And another reason why I've stayed here for so long is that you realize that is a, that, that's a huge thing to, to have the confidence of the people that you work for. But, but also, um, they also understand that there are some things that happen that are out of your control. There are some things that happen that, that uh, well, they understand that also that we make mistakes. Superintendents make mistakes, and they're not, they're not going to take one uh, mistake and make that uh, the epitome of my career. They're going to look at all the good things I did and weigh with, you know, a mistake with it. Because I don't think there's any superintendent that hasn't made a mistake that they wish that, oh, I wish I would have done that differently. Or <laughs> So it's, it's nice to have that. Um, I know there's a lot of boards or, or, or greens chairmans or whatever that'll, that'll just jump on any mistake a superintendent makes. And they have, to, they have to go through their work day every day with that, you know, and I don't have that. So that's a, that's a, a very comfortable thing. We've talked over some of the challenges that you have. What is the most satisfying part of this job for you? What makes you especially proud of what you do? What makes you especially proud of showing your daughter, who I know is a teenager, uh, what you've done and, and feeling proud of all that? What I'm most proud of is that I had her uh, well, she's 15 now, and she had to go to work with me every day from the time she was born, you know, and so figuring that all out, how to raise my daughter with the job and all that it entails and, and, and making um, the golfers, the clientele, very happy with the job that I've done and, and her being a good kid. <laughs> the two of them both working out very well. That, that's probably what I'm most proud of. There are not a lot of women 
in the industry, relatively speaking. There are starting to be more now. But what suggestions would you have for a young woman, say somebody your daughter's age, who may be looking at being a turf management major in college or maybe looking at a career in your industry? Uh, well, certainly if you the job, if you love what you're doing, if you you know, been working in some maintenance and you love what you're doing, certainly pursue it. Don't, don't feel intimidated in any way. And, and I have to say, uh, because it's a very male dominated profession and, and uh, especially going to the, like the big GCSA seminars or, or superintendent meetings or whatever, there's, there's not going to be a whole lot of women in the room. You know, you might be, you might be the only one, you might be two of you, you know, but I've always felt like I've been accepted. There's never been an issue with the gender, you know, no one ever saying, oh, you know, what are you doing here? Any of that type of thing. It's, uh, everybody's always been genuinely accepting. And I would say to anyone interested in the industry, if you, if you love what you're doing, pursue it 100%. Don't ever feel intimidated. I think part of it too, 99% of the superintendents I've met really love what they're doing. And I think that, that shows, and there's a huge bonus regardless of how much money you're making or what your paycheck looks like, assuming you can pay your bills, if you love what you're doing. And I saw you quoted somewhere that this doesn't feel like I'm going to work. And I understand that sentiment totally. Uh, the other part of it is the job is so demanding. It's not an easy job. So for someone to come into it and be able to handle all that's required and embrace it that's going to generate respect from your peers because they know what you or anyone else has had to go through uh, to get to that point that's absolutely right too and, and actually you know, there, there are times that i feel like you're actually a bit of, at a bit of an advantage being female in the profession uh, for one thing with your crew um the majority of, i've only hired two females actually in the 26 years there's only been two females that have worked for me and one went on into um, landscaping. She did really well. And another one was just working as a part-time job, you know, just a crew member. Uh, she really enjoyed it though. Um, but I haven't had any other females even apply, you know, to work here. The majority of your, the, my employees are male. And so whenever they see you doing something, it's very, it's easy to, it's easy to motivate them. You know, <laughs> you know, when you're a female doing it, oh, well, like, you know, I think I can get out there and do it myself, you know, so that, that's kind of an advantage also. What advice would you give to any student or prospective student that wanted to go into this industry, male or female, somebody who wanted to, who really had an interest in finding out more about the industry and the opportunities that are available because a lot of the big time turf management schools are having trouble attracting students now. I think now actually, even though, even though golf is kind of at a decline, I think nationally, this year we've, we've seen a big upturn, which is good, but we don't know if that's going to hold on or not. Um, even though golf is kind of at a decline, like I said, from where we were in, in our heyday, I think now there's actually a lot of opportunities um, because there are a lot of guys that can't find assistance right now. So I think now career-wise, it's, 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 it's a good bet to go into and, and you know, to pursue the career. I think there's, there's opportunities there now that, that weren't necessarily there a few years ago. 
Sue, we know you've had a wonderful career. We appreciate all that you and your peers uh, do for the game, those of us that play it and try to play it, and those of us uh, who write about it. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Oh, well, thank you, Rick. Thanks for having me. Sue Spar, our guest on this podcast, we thank all of you for joining us. My name is Rick Wolfel. We invite you to join us next time.